This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. How are you? Looking forward to this conversation. It's not going to be easy, but I think we have to have it. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it too. What happened is that last time we had recorded this, just for our audience to know, we had recorded a session on this and it turns out we had some technical difficulties and it didn't actually record. So here we are back recording. And also I know it's been a long time since Lynn and I have sat down together and recorded an episode. So if you're still listening with us, I really appreciate it. And I know you do too, Lynn. I really appreciate our listeners and and their comments. And today we're going to actually talk about different comments uh, from our listeners on the subject of sexual abuse of children, especially boys. That's been a very fascinating thing for me to track. And you had brought it up too, is the observation that it seems like our episodes talking specifically around sexual abuse, but also particularly sexual abuse of boys and men, Those have been the ones that we get the most comments on and that we've gotten the most feedback on, positive and negative. So I think being able to talk about it is really important. And I think it also highlights an important fact that we've talked about before, which is that there's a lot of silencing there. There's a lot of silence. There aren't a lot of spaces for these conversations. And I I hope that we are opening this space. And as I said, we welcome all feedback. If you're listening for the first time or nearly the first time, there were two earlier episodes about child uh, sexual abuse. One was the silencing of child victims of sexual abuse, which we recorded in August on August 31st of 2017, and it was a spotlight on sex. And the other was episode 13 of our regular episodes, which was sexual abuse of boys and men. And it was recorded in June of 2017. So very early. Very early. That's fun to kind of reflect on. Yeah. One of the comments was a letter uh, that we received rather recently, but we've taken some time to think about it uh, from uh, a man named Ben, uh, who defined himself as a, a a person who had been sexually abused when he was 10 years of age by an older boy. And um, he was very expressive about not having real options uh, and places to talk about this and um, was critical, really, of our podcast around the issue of uh, we are women, there's not a voice for men here. He felt that we were patronizing, which I can sometimes see. We're two women therapists with experience and how we approach this, I think, is really important to talk about. Um, But uh, he had a number of criticisms, but perhaps one of the most, I think, poignant was really he talked about his own experience 
being abused and felt as if we weren't representing uh, really how boys and men feel about it in uh, the discussions we have had about it. Um, I think we could certainly have boys and men who've been abused on uh, on our podcast. I think it's important to also say that as therapists, we protect the confidentiality of our patients and clients, and we can't really have them on this show talking about it with us. It's just generally there are a lot of guidelines prohibiting that. But uh, it's very important that we hear from our listeners in this area. Um, this These podcasts were also ranked as our highest ranked podcast overall with the five rating, which is from all over the world. So that's an, another interesting thing about these podcasts. But we're still interested, especially in addressing, I think, Ben's comments. And we want to be open really to taking in negative comments and looking at them and looking at how we could maybe talk about it differently or even think about it differently. Yeah, so you bring up a lot of points there. And as you were talking, all these thoughts popped into my head. I think one of the big ones that's been really exciting for me is that we are getting listeners from all over the world. And I think that's really encouraging. And it makes me sad at times because it makes me realize there how few spaces there are for these types of conversations. So I'm glad that people like Ben are reaching out and sharing this feedback, although it can be hard to listen to at times. I think it's really important to be able to take that feedback and acknowledge that this is an area where there is a lot of pain, there is a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of suppression that goes on by social norms or, you know, by interpersonal dynamics where it's hard for people to talk about it in and of themselves. And so there's just many different dynamics going on that make it hard. And I do wish that there were, particularly for men, more spaces where they could share their stories, have them be listened to, have them be believed, and open that up for everybody because it's it's a very needed resource. And I think we are both women therapists and women therapists are sought out by boys and men who've been abused because they often have trouble talking with male therapists. So we see uh, a higher percentage really than male therapists do. And that that's a hardship. There should be, I think, you know, male therapists out there who uh, acknowledge that they're expert in this area, they may have gone through it themselves, they have experience. All of that, I think, would make it easier uh, for that uh, group of young people and older people seeking treatment. And what it reminds me of, too, is I know earlier on in the episodes, I had talked about how I didn't have as many male clients at that time. But over the years, whether a result of just me being where I am for longer or whether it be, I think a big part of it is because with things like the Me Too movement, although it's primarily been focused on women and abuse of women, I think it's given a lot of these men also a sense that they have a right to have their story and voices heard and that maybe society is actually ready to shift and be able to hear these stories. Exactly. You know, I think it's really important. Um, and it's interesting, Jen, that your practice has shifted, as did mine and many of the female therapists I work with. Ben also brings up the issue 
of do you have to be a survivor of abuse to work with others? And what benefit does that really offer? And just in the way of disclosure, I was a, a victim of childhood sexual abuse and adolescent sexual abuse. And it's an aspect of my character, my life, my dedication really to this work. I think it, it helps me understand you know, the children and the adolescents and the adults that I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think that it's possible to be a therapist and to work with others without having direct experience of that area. No, nobody's experience is like another. Even if we've both experienced, say, child sexual abuse, there's different perceptions. There's a whole range of different things. Oh, yeah. So I think it's very important to look at the difference there. Survivors have a lot to offer, but so do individuals who take on the field, learn about it, try to be respectful of others, and work in this area. I think to also highlight, I know we already have the disclaimer in front of our podcast, but that this is not a therapeutic context. And so while we're talking about therapeutic themes and we're talking about our experience as therapists working with clients, you and I are not doing therapy here. And so because we're having these types of conversations, it's a different type of engagement where I think at times it can sound like we're telling you or, or you know, yeah. Um, yeah. talking in a very directional way where I'm the expert, you're the <laughs> expert. But it's because we're talking about our areas of expertise. But when I'm sitting with a client, I don't like talk to them as if I'm the expert and they don't know anything. It's really, really collaborative. Um, I think good therapy work really is. It it's has to be. Because it's really about another person sparking and helping develop the interest and the development of another who becomes their own therapist, really, for better or for worse. I think one of the other criticisms that uh, uh, Ben had was particularly around the area of whether boys who've been sexually abused will go on to abuse others. And there is literature out there that shows high rates of sexual abuse on those uh, boys who have been abused when you look at studies. So there are associative studies. There are a fair amount of them. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, the majority of men who've been sexually abused do not go on really to abuse others. And I myself conducted a large study of men sexually abused by clergy, and uh, only very small percent, I think one of those individuals in a group of approximately 30, went on to really abuse others. And what was involved in that, there were a lot of special things involved. But I think it is important to talk about the fact that treatment is necessary really to address the trauma and all of the other things that have happened to those who've been sexually abused. It's a really tough area, you know, both to experience, as I did personally, and also to work with in a therapeutic setting. I think to also highlight the importance of that, because it's so much a, a myth that is accepted by society, that one thing I see is in abuse survivors, they often do have fears that they will go on to abuse another person, even though statistically 
it's a small number. And I think what's what people get confused by is within that small number of um, those who have been abused that then go on to abuse, there is a high number of people who are abusing in that situation. There is a high number of them having had been abused. So if you are an abuser abusing somebody, there there is within that population itself a chance, a high chance that you were abused. But I think it's very important to highlight that that is different than saying that if you are abused, you're automatically assumed to, that you are going to abuse someone. And I think the differences in that can get confusing for people. And maybe, you know, our earlier podcast could be interpreted you know, differently on that point. Yeah. So I think to be really clear that the majority do not go on to abuse, but treatment for boys who have been abused and who are abusing is really, really important because we see a lot of young victims, you know, and I think a lot of children abusing children and really physically and sexually and really how to deal with that population is really important. Well, I think also another thing I see is that for those who are afraid of abusing others, they hold themselves back from building relationships in in ways that are healthy because they're so afraid of even building the relationship. So I think having a therapist be able to work with and guide you on how to build healthy relationships with people that are not abusive can really expand your life and support and help you manage the trauma that does happen from being abused. Yeah. And individuals who've gone through this really need a lot of support. You know, they need it from friends, from family, from public settings. You know, there needs to be a lot more, uh, many platforms available for men and boys to really speak out and address it. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think that's fundamentally one of the underlying things that we both believe here is that there need to be more platforms where people are having these conversations. And I, I think it's really important that it not just be people who, you know, as us therapists kind of sharing our clients' stories with their permission and with confidentiality, but also I think it's really important that we be able to hear directly from people who have had these experiences so they don't have to find somebody to be a channel for them. Yeah. And I think also the road that someone who's been abused takes, you know, as they move forward in their life, <laughs> really through adolescence, you know, and then through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s and on, really, how do you help others? How do you get involved in all of that? Uh, one of the uh, clinical stories we talked about in episode 13 was about uh, the boy Garth, who um, is an example of a boy who fell in love with his abuser. You know, he was able to see it as abuse, you know, eventually through therapy and how that worked, and also <laughs> how the abuser, uh, who was a priest in that case, really went on to be uh, understand what he had done, you know, at least part of it, and then apologize really for that experience. Um, so that's one story. It's not everybody's cycle, but one story of what happened with two people in that situation, 
But there are many, many different stories that take place there. Well, I think what we were highlighting there, too, was some of the complexity where you... Sometimes it can be hard for people to see the abuse as abuse because of this type of relationship. And we talk about that particularly in the episode on grooming, how abusers will cultivate that type of relationship to kind of confuse the person that they're attempting to abuse or in the process of abusing. What Ben brought up, though, that was very interesting for me, too, is you you talked about the situation where... He said he was 10 years old and he was abused by somebody who was around 16. And in that situation, I think it brings up another dynamic that we haven't really had a full conversation on yet. It's it's what we were actually planning to talk about in our episode that got deleted, Um, but is how the dynamic shifts when you have the person who is abusing be a minor as well. And that's actually, I think, creates a lot of different dynamics that are not discussed. And that's why we had done this episode. So I I know you and I will revisit that topic for sure. But I think it is important to highlight that we have had experiences with clients that come in and they're talking about things in relationship terms. And it's not until through the process of you know, understanding why they aren't feeling good about it, or they're feeling depressed, or they're feeling suicidal, then they come to understand this whole grooming process that led them to see things in this relationship way. And I believe we talked in an earlier podcast about how we aided the state of California, really, in understanding some of the grooming episodes with looking at online grooming, Mm -hmm. and how that's being used now frequently by individuals who abuse to contact children, stay in, you know, Instagramming them, Twittering them, doing all kinds of different things to establish contact really with young people. You know, so there's a real change in the grooming process, but it's still very actively being used uh, and abused by uh, individuals. You know, one of the cases that we've been working on this week here, maybe to say a little bit about is I'm going to disguise some of the different aspects of right. it, but is a, a boy who was abused by peers slightly older at a school, and there were sexual aspects of it, you know, uh, oral intercourse, and the boy was held down and, and bullied too, beaten up when this occurred by two of his peers. The school did not label it sexual abuse, although sexual abuse occurred. Mm-hmm. And they labeled it as such bullying. Yeah. And I, I think this is an umbrella term under which a lot of sexual abuse is kind of packaged and maybe hidden. Really well, it's in used terms to dismiss, I think, the intensity of it, of the abuse. And I think also it, it's one of the ways we sort of manage our shame around sex is if we call it bullying, then we don't have to think about the sexual act that happened. It's just part of this large bullying that happens and it normalizes it. I mean, we are starting to take bullying more seriously as a society. And to me, that's great because bullying is a form of harassment, physical or verbal or emotional. So I think as a therapist for me... When I hear bullying, sometimes that's upsetting because it's used in the sense of like, oh, it's just bullying. And it's not just bullying, it's a form of abuse. But I think there are 
ways in which we avoid talking about hard topics and, and changing the name of things is a big one. I was even struck by the fact that with this case, with this little boy who was abused and uh, was 10 years old and uh, by his peers, that um, uh, on the forms that the police uh, filled out for this, because the mother called up and filed the police report, um, if it was a sexual abuse by a minor, it was transferred over to bullying. That word was used exactly on the form. Oh, wow. So I actually, this is what so we're talking about. Thing. It's a, a systemic thing, exactly. So I think that's important to be aware of. And I've been tipped off by earlier conversations with you, Jen, about this, and I saw it. So I think it really goes on that if it's a a child or an individual maybe under 14 who's conducting the behavior, it is labeled one thing, but you put it a little bit down the road and it becomes labeled something else. And I think this is something I'd like to hear our listeners comment on too, uh, um, I do think that gets at how we silence this process and we don't really talk about what's happening to our children. Well, so much of bullying is already abusive. And I think if we took it more seriously as the abuse it was, we would better understand the role that emotional and verbal before any physical action has happened, the role that that has in future abuses. And I think that it, it also sets up a pattern of little kids exploring how you get power and because bullying is about power dynamics and powering over somebody. And a lot of that in our society, especially as you age, is you is labeled as, you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment. But when it's with kids who are in second grade, kids who are in fourth grade, even fifth grade, it's not seen as sexual harassment. It's just seen as bullying that maybe happens to be using sexual terms. And so there's this disconnect there when it's actually part of a trajectory. Mm -hmm. I also think both the police and the schools have some struggles, you know, about how to refer to this. Uh, I think sometimes they minimize sexual abuse as reported in the schools because they don't want to have to file with Child Protective Services, which is a, they are mandated reporters and have to do that. So sometimes you see those actions taking place. Mm -hmm. So it's really about how do we have more group discussions about this, alert our schools, if our own children are involved in these activities, what role do we take? on, you know, and how do we advocate for children really in this area? Well, the other thing I had brought up is that I really believe it's a community thing. So we have a very individualized belief system in the U.S. And I think that keeps people from wanting to assume responsibility instead of seeing it as inherently their responsibility. And so, you know, you have things like the bystander which is a key piece. A lot of times the person who is being abused is trapped in a lot of different psychological, emotional, um, different, I don't even know the word as I'm thinking about it, but they're just trapped in these different dynamics that keep them from either being able to advocate for themselves Maybe they're scared, maybe they've been threatened, maybe they don't know how to make sense of what's happening to them. 
And I think often, I believe I had mentioned this in previous episodes, but often there are people who have a sense about things going on. Something's not right. And I think it's better to err on the side of of following that and and exploring it and saying, okay, something seems not right here. Let me, you know, let me bring this up to somebody who could be able to do something more about it. Um, the situation we're talking about with the 10-year-old boy, he actually right away after these events happened, told the teacher. Yeah. And so he had a clear view in his own head about what was happening to him and the courage really to speak out. That's great. So I think that that was very, very important to reinforce that and help him find his path through that. Now, the school and the police didn't see it that way. They characterized it differently. Mm -hmm. But the boy was able, and with the help of his mother, really to pursue a path through it. So I think there are these uh, people that, you know, they realize that aggressive acts done to them are wrong, that they deserve to be treated respectfully. Yeah. All of these things, really. I mean, the truth is everybody's experience is different. And I think the big thing I want to advocate for is, especially with things like bullying, they often happen when there are not adults present because bullies are paying attention. I really should just say abusers. I mean, because if you're bullying, you're being abusive. So, but these these children are very aware of the environment and they are seeking out places where they will not be caught. And so that's why I think, you know, if if you're at recess with a peer and you sense just something is off, for for you to have some personal responsibility and following up on at least being like, I don't know, there's something off here, that it's all our responsibility. Because if we go back to the grooming episode, one of the three components is the environment and the way abusers will groom the environment. So what you can do to eliminate that is to create an environment where that type of behavior is not tolerated and is commented on right away. Like the little boy who commented to the teacher right away. Right. And and the teacher should be ready and to say, it's not okay to have anybody hit you or try to touch your private parts. And, yeah. you know, that's, and, you know, other things happened really in that context. I think where it becomes more challenging, I'm also the grandparent of a soon-to-be three-year-old little boy in preschool. And, uh, you know, there are little events going on with little little James, as he's called, and we call him. He's a personal, personal grandchild here. Um, but he's been involved with other kids biting and hitting him, and more recently in some little hitting episodes himself, you know. Mm. And then at three, you know, one of the interventions that we've been working on in the school and, and out at home, too, is really getting the little kids just as they're old enough to articulate, do not hit me, do not bite me, it hurts after it happens. So that's something you do with very young children that it happens to. And kids don't usually tell the teacher because they're, you know, it has to be observed really, but to work on how to react. And if you have a child who's hitting or biting a lot, really how to sit down and work with them and explain the same thing. Do not hit them. Do not, you know, do this. It hurts. But it's very important to address these behaviors early 
I think. Well, I want to emphasize the the part you're talking about where you're working with people on both ends of it, the person who is engaging in the hitting behavior and the person who is being hit. Because a lot of times what I see is that the the person who is engaging in the hitting behavior is allowed to to just stay or maintain the, the behavior they're doing and in order to deal with the problem, they will have the the person who is the victim be moved or the victim has to not talk to this person. And I've seen that a lot when I work with a lot of teens where they have these sort of like no harassment contracts. I don't know if you've heard the same yeah. type of yeah. thing, but it's like they, they have to sign this paper that says, you know, um, I will stay away from this person. And to me, that's that's so much a putting the burden on the victim to have to deal with the situation instead of working with the person who's abusing. Well, these situations in the schools can be very challenging for the schools too, because sometimes when you have a, a, a boy or girl who's harassing and bullying others, um, their parents are more threatening. Yeah, And, um, you know, the parents will call and threaten the schools. So I think some of this has thrown the onus in the other direction where the child has to protect themselves mm -hmm. and our schools really aren't protecting in the way they need to uh, the kids from bullying and sexual abuse. And I think that's everybody's responsibility. We as a community have to do something about it. The schools have to do something about it. But we really have to start to look at it differently, I think. Yeah, it's about shaping... I mean, words are so important because they they have so much power. And I think, I mean, it may be controversial for people to hear me saying that, you know, to me, bullying is just abuse. But I really firmly stand by it, working with people who have been labeled bullying and have been bullied, like they respond, they have symptoms that are the symptoms you have after being verbally abused, after being emotionally abused, you know, symptoms of trauma. And to just for our listeners to go through some of those, you know, there's the re-experiencing mm -hmm. aspect of trauma where you have dreams and you have thoughts and you have intrusive actions, all part of that, the avoidance the physical symptoms of stomach aches and headaches and all kinds of little things for kids. And so there's a whole range of really different uh, symptoms that come up. And then perhaps most important, the thinking, the changes in our thinking, our cognition. You know, we feel bad about ourselves if we've been abused, those kinds of things. And that I say both uh, from experience and also having work with thousands of children who've been through abuse, really. Well, it disrupts our sense yeah. of safety. Mm -hmm. It More than safety, I would say it disrupts our sense of security. And security is something we can learn to give to ourselves, but it's also something that is built within a community. And I think if we can work to really change some of the dialogue around this, then we can work to make our schools more secure places for people. Yeah. And it gets back to what we had tried to do in this Forgotten and Lost podcast, is really to talk about how can we make uh, the schools and the world safer, really, for children in this whole area? And one is to acknowledge when sexual abuse occurs 
and also to acknowledge often the connections with physical abuse and verbal harassment. They come in a triumvirate and, you know, work together. And we have to pay attention really to all of it. Yeah. And I mean, the It's so interesting. I think one of the challenges I have is each time we're talking about something, there are so many different pieces that I just want to do a new episode (laughs) on everything. And it's hard to get to everything. And it, it reminds me, though, that, you know, at least here we are having these conversations, hopefully sparking other people to have conversations. And I want to highlight again that I really appreciate any feedback that that we get because one, you're now joining a conversation here and that's a big part of why we do this. But also there are so few places where I think people get heard and I really want to at least be able to do my part to create that space. Yeah. So at this point, I'd like to thank Ben and the others who wrote in about this episode, both positive and negative and uh, about this topic and really it's a couple episodes and to say that we're grateful really to be able to talk about this so thank you jen thank you and thank you to listeners like ben Come on. That's why